In Discussion with David Gibbons is sponsored in part by Bowman Global Change. Specializing in helping companies reduce their carbon emissions, Bowman Global Change applies real science to real business practices to produce results. From designing green programs to one-on-one training to helping set up green action teams in your business, Bowman Global Change translates complex science in practical ways that everyone can understand and use. For more information or to discover how Bowman Global Change can help your organization, visit bowmanglobalchange.com. Guests join me today following the death of David Hartley, a U.S. citizen at Falcon Lake, Zapata County, Texas, while sightseeing with his wife Tiffany Hartley in late September. It's believed that pirates associated with the Zeta cartel group were responsible. Zapata County Sheriff Gonzalez, heading the investigation, was recently quoted as saying, The one thing I dreaded on Falcon Lake has happened. The lake is not secure. The border is not secure, because the incident that I dreaded the most has in fact happened. We cannot go to Mexico. We cannot recover that body. We cannot conduct an investigation. We have to tell the family. We can't do anything about it. Congressman Steve King, ranking Republican member of the Subcommittee on Immigration, Sheriff Gonzalez in charge of the investigation, Pat O'Brien, veteran investigative journalist, and Tiffany Young Hartley appear today on In Discussion. Welcome to In Discussion today. Following the death of David Hartley, a U.S. citizen at Falcon Lake Zapata County, Texas, on the Mexican border, I'm joined by Congressman Steve King, ranking Republican member of the Subcommittee on Immigration, Sheriff Gonzalez, in charge of the investigation, Pat O'Brien, veteran investigative journalist, and Tiffany Young Hartley. Welcome to you. Thanks for having us on. I appreciate it. Congressman Steve King, thank you for joining us today. Your time is valuable and participation much appreciated. Following this terrible incident at Falcon Lake and the subsequent death of Mr. Hartley, what is your position as ranking member of the Immigration Subcommittee in this what appears to be an escalating crisis on the U.S.-Mexican border today? Well, we've watched uh, since um, probably Dwight Eisenhower was the last president that enforced immigration law in a serious way to, to uh, establish and maintain the rule of law. Since that time, we've seen diminishing enforcement of immigration law. And um, when Ronald Reagan signed the Amnesty Act in 1986, he was very honest with us. He called it amnesty, but they said it would be the last amnesty. And... Of course, it wasn't. There have been smaller and lesser amnesties since that period of time. And so what we've seen now is uh, the Bush administration that diminished their enforcement. And uh, we've seen also then the, uh, the Obama administration that has almost defied the rule of law, told us they're not going to enforce the law. And in the process of watching that, it devalues the rule of law. And so what I'm willing to do on the border is, is first we want to make sure that we have the resources to do the job down there. 
But I believe I'm the only one that's actually calculated how much money we're spending on this 2,000-mile-long southern border, and that's in the neighborhood of $12 billion. That means it's $6 million a mile. And when you think about what you get for $6 million a mile, perhaps 25% uh, in the enforcement, 25% interdiction of illegals coming across the border. And I, when I talk to the people working on the border, they say, oh, no, we maybe get 10%. We don't get anywhere near 25 And so when they will then tell us, well, we can't build a fence, a wall, and a fence because it's too expensive and it doesn't work. Well, it does work. You have to you have to police the fence and you have to maintain it, but it does work. I don't suggest that we build a two thousand mile fence. I just suggest we build it and build it and keep building it until they stop going around the end. If that's two thousand miles, then so be it. What do you feel is the best alternative between a virtual and a concrete wall, in your opinion? Well, I've been over to look at the fence that the Israelis have built over there. And it's uh, it's wire and concrete, and it's it's effective. I've been to military bases in a lot of places around the world. I've been down through Mexico. Instead of building fences uh, in large areas, they build them around their homes. Some are concrete and some are wire. What I suggest we do is build a good wire fence uh, near the border and then come inside uh, 60 feet or 100 feet and build a concrete wall. I would put that up, uh, you know, 13 or more feet high, and I'd put wire on top of that. And then I'd build another fence inside it. So there's two no-man's lands. And then with those two no-man's lands that's, that's there, we can patrol that with roads. I would put sensors on along that fence for vibration and optics and cameras and all of those things. And we can do that and for a fraction of what it's costing us to enforce the border. And we would get a lot closer to 100% enforcement. Congressman King, what about the issue or belief that the higher you build the wall the longer those ladders that they utilize will become in scaling uh, a means to traversing that wall in order to reach U.S. territory? Well, it's Janet Napolitano that said, I think it was, if you if you uh, build a 50-foot wall, I'll show you a 51-foot ladder. Uh, and I just think that that's not a very well-informed opinion. My my stumper rebuttal to her would be, well, we'll fool you, Janet. We're going to dig a two-foot trench on the outside, and the ladder will be too short for you. Uh, no, you'd have to drag a ladder across the desert and go up over a steel fence, and you're sending signals that you're coming. People will see you coming with the ladder. And if you climb over into a no-man's land, are you going to climb bring the ladder up over the top, or bring, you know, are you going to go without a ladder in the middle there? But what they do is they cut through the wire in the fence, they climb over the fence. Uh, we need to fix it so they can't do that. And with a concrete wall, it's hard to climb and it's hard to cut. Um, so nothing is going to be impenetrable, impenetrable to a determined adversary, but it certainly slows it down, raises the cost of them crossing the border, and causes them to try to do something else or give up. And uh, it would be cost-effective. If I just explain to you about the cost side of this, we can build a four-lane interstate in Iowa across the expensive cornfield by buying right away and building the entire interstate and fence it uh, for about $4 million a mile. We can surely go down on the southern border and do, what if we just build an interstate every year? For the $6 million a mile that, that we're spending to guard that border, we could spend a portion of that, pave ourselves an interstate, and every year just lay another foot of paving on top of that. In 10 years, we'd have a 10-foot high wall two lanes wide and an area in the middle that one might want to consider as a moat, and then another two lanes inside that. 
a four-lane interstate highway 10 feet high in 10 years for a lot less money than we're spending to guard that border now. That's how out of whack our priorities are on the funding. And it's, it's not a matter of more people sitting in Humvees and chasing people across the desert. That's part of it. But it's not the only solution. We need to build a barrier that directs all traffic through the ports of entry. Now, assuming that the elections do indeed run in your favor, giving you the opportunity to direct and oversee these operations, will you consider complementing the Border Patrol with National Guards in protection of those living along the border regions, including, of course, ranchers whose livelihoods are certainly threatened at this point? Well, I'm I'm willing I'm willing to um, to put the people down there that we need. Um, well, I want to give the the sheriffs the support that they're asking for. They're asking for National Guard to come down. Yes, I'll support that. Now let's go down and provide real operational control of the border, and uh, but let's build the barrier so it doesn't take so many people to do that. And uh, I want to have uh, I want to have those kind of meetings and sit down discussions with people like Sheriff Gonzalez, whom I believe we've met down that territory before, and and uh, to come up with a policy that works and works good. But I, I just I emphasize the barrier, the border, the, the fence, the wall, and the fence because we can get a lot of good out of the physical barrier that's there. It still needs people to defend it, and uh, I'm I supported the guard going down there, and I'll continue to do that. And I know the, especially the Texas Sheriff Border Association is asking for more guard troops, and, and I'll be supportive of that as well. But I'm watching us hire a lot of Border Patrol agents, and um, you, when the more people you put on payroll, the more overhead you have. I'd like to put some of that money into physical barrier instead because I think we get a better return for our investment. Where are you in considering the increasing violence of drug cartels' operations that are now having such greater impact not only in Mexico but also in U.S. territory that's resulted recently in the tragic death of Mr. Hartley on Falcon Lake. How do you intend to respond to these worrying events again in supporting local law enforcement agencies and of course the citizens living there or those traveling through those areas? Well, I don't know that I'm going to be able to direct that particular activity. Um, it's a function of the two states department and foreign policy between the president and the United States and President Calderon in Mexico. And, you know, if we get too far out of line on that, we can upset the situation of the relationship between the two. Mm -hmm. But if there's a way that I can contribute to helping to find his body, help to find his killers, uh, my ears are open for a method that we can use to approach that. I don't think that there is a single foot of sovereign U.S. territory that we should cede over to Mexican drug smugglers or anybody else. And uh, when you have areas where Americans can't go, we've got to bring the rule of law in there and bring the forces in there to clean up an area like that. Uh, that includes the lake in that area of the lake, and it also includes Oregon Pipe Cactus National Monument, where they've taken a large area of that uh, that's next to the border, and it's off-limits to Americans because the drug smugglers now occupy it and they're filling it full of litter and they're destroying the desert. Do you believe that there may be any support or logic for those in states such as California who suggest that as a possible 
preventative measure, as you were. Uh, marijuana and perhaps other drugs should be legalized in order to arrest further violence in the U.S.-Mexico border territories? Well, they'll legalize, if they legalize marijuana, then the next thing will be methamphetamines, cocaine, heroin, uh, you name your drug that's coming across that border. So, uh, no, I, I will oppose that and resist that with whatever energy and ability that I have. I think it's, a, it's kind of a false promise to think that if you legalize marijuana, it's going to solve the problem. Although, I have to I have to concede a point that's made by the Mexicans that as long as we have a high demand for illegal drugs in America, there's going to be drugs that are coming from and through Mexico, and the violence that's associated with that in Mexico has taken on thousands of lives down there, and it's starting to take lives on our side of the border, too. So I, I think there's two things that solve this. One is uh, an operational control of the border. And we can achieve that. We can mechanically and tactically achieve operational control of the border, and it's worth the investment. We need to shut off the jobs magnet here in the United States. It's a magnet that brings people into America to, to work here. And we can do that with the new IDEA Act. That's the legislation that brings the IRS into this, and it, and it prohibits the expenses that are being paid to illegals to, from being used as a business expense when the IRS does the audit, those wages to illegals would go over into the profit side where they would be tax, uh, be taxable and interest and penalty. When the IRS does an audit like that, under my legislation called the New IDEA Act, then that will take your $10 an hour illegal in costs up to about $16 an hour to an employer, which means that there will be many that will be looking for a job and they'll likely go home. Uh, those are things we can do. We need to end sanctuary cities and support local law enforcement everywhere in America that's, that's supporting the enforcement of immigration law. And while that's going on, we've got to shut off this demand or shut down this demand for illegal drugs in America because that is a powerful magnet that's bringing drugs into the United States. I don't think legalization is the answer, but I think we need to reduce the demand in a dramatic way. And may I ask you, in regards to the laws enacted in some states, including, of course, Arizona, who have been in conflict with the current administration over efforts to take independent or perhaps even complementary action in order to take care of border issues in their own states. Would you support independent steps taken by these state governments or perhaps believe that it really is contrary to the role of central government's mandate in this area? Well, I support Arizona's immigration law. Um, State Senator Russell Pierce is a friend. Uh, he's, a, he's a very smart legal immigration mind, and uh, he's, a, he's a real bold leader. I, I, have a, I think the job that he's done down there and supported and also led by Governor Brewer is outstanding. Um, Chris Kobach, who was the U.S. attorney who evaluated the language to assure that it was constitutional, is also someone I've worked with for a long time whose legal opinions I respect greatly. And um, I also we had, um, we had Attorney General Eric Holder before the Judiciary Committee under oath sometime uh, near the end of May of this year. And I asked him um, just point blank, did the President of the United States order you to sue Arizona, and twice he evaded answering that question, which is conclusive to me that the answer was yes. On that day, 
the President of the United States had not read Arizona's immigration law, yet had ordered Eric Holder as Attorney General to use all the forces of the Justice Department to sue Arizona. And about five minutes later, Attorney General Holder admitted that he had not read the bill either. So you have a completely um, a motive, completely politically motivated legal attack on Arizona's immigration law driven out of the White House for political reasons, not for reasons of law or justice. We have a politicized Justice Department. If the states are willing to go forward and pass immigration laws like Arizona's, I'm all for it. I'm encouraging them to do that. I think they should. And eventually, if we end up with an inconsistent patchwork world of immigration enforcement laws, that's better than no enforcement of immigration laws, which is what we're getting, well, a limited enforcement of immigration laws, which is what we're getting from the federal government today. Congressman King, what is your immediate and ongoing support to Sheriff Gonzalez and others in similar roles? And, of course, what would be your message to Mrs. Hartley today, whose great loss of her husband on Falcon Lake recently, which must in itself lead at this juncture to greater visibility to the severity of the situation in this area of the United States. Well, thank you. And, and, and Tiffany, you know, our heart goes out to you and our prayers go out to you. And uh, we have a, an American obligation to uh, find your husband and bring the killers to justice and uh, set up a situation so this doesn't happen again. It is tragic, and it will be a nightmare revisit you many times. I've committed also to supporting the border sheriffs with the resources that they need, particularly National Guard personnel, and I'll do and I take a look at ways to amend the Posse Comitatus law um, conditionally so that we can send troops down there if we need to. And I also think that the border is a good place for troops to train. When you fly along the border, it looks a lot like Iraq from a Black Hawk to me. Uh, there's a lot that we can do. We need to get the dialogue on the right side of this. One of the other things, and I asked this question of the pastors who came to testify for amnesty here a while back before the Immigration Committee. They testified about the number of people who died trying to get across the, the Arizona desert into the United States. And I asked them this question. If, say, 400 or so died a year there, and I actually think the numbers are less than that, how many Americans died at the hands of those who did make it across the border into the United States, in addition to Tiffany, your husband, whom he lost tragically down there near the border. And they hadn't considered the idea about the price to Americans for not enforcing immigration law, how much violence is perpetrated against Americans inside the United States because we don't control our borders. And I have a study that I have commissioned from the General Accountability Office which is to, to determine those numbers of Americans who have been killed by illegals here in the United States. Of course, as about all studies are, they couldn't possibly be completed before the election. It'll be afterwards. And uh, that'll still give us resources to work with. If I'm the chairman of the Immigration Committee, and I expect that's going to be the case, I will be, uh, I will be holding hearings, and we'll be bringing this data forward and informing Americans of the price that we're paying for not enforcing our immigration laws. And what is your official line to those employers in the United States who do not have a problem in hiring illegal immigrants at this point in the country's history? Well, I think the important thing for people that are employers here in America is that you have VE verified. You should use E-Verify. It's a very simple program. I use it. I've used it for a number of years. 
and it is fast, it's accurate, it's reliable, and the only way to make it better is to use it. And so employers should be able to determine whether the person that's in front of them is uh, someone who can work legally in the United States. And uh, the other side of that equation is if you knowingly and willfully are hiring illegals, you are contributing to the problem, you're undermining the rule of law, you're lowering the wages, especially our lower-skilled and, and under and lower educated Americans that maybe they didn't want to go to college and get a four-year degree. They might have just wanted to go to work down at the factory. Well, their opportunities have been diminished because we've had a flood of cheap labor in America. And if you're going to work in America, say on a production line, and on one or the other or both sides of you, there are are illegals working there. Look at them and remember, an American could be doing that work. Uh, an American that's legal to be in the United States. There are at least 8 million illegals working in the United States. I actually think that number is higher than that. And that's 8 million jobs that Americans could have if we would just enforce our immigration laws. Congressman King, uh, many thanks to you. Uh, Mrs. Hartley, uh, thank you also uh, for joining us today. And of course, our condolences uh, to you following the tragic death of your husband, David. Where are you today in ensuring progress uh, towards resolving this dreadful loss? And are you uh, comfortable with the cooperation and support of local and federal law enforcement agencies at this stage? Well, today, yeah, I, I have been getting... Um information from the authorities of what, you know, what's being done or where they're at, what they're working on. Uh, I am staying informed. Um, as of today, as far as I know, we're, the search for David has still been suspended. Um, I'm on my way back to Colorado. We're on the road right now. Um, but just because I'm going to Colorado does not mean that we're giving up on finding him. Mrs. Hartley, would you kindly... Uh, to serve as reminder, describe the circumstances of that day when you lost your husband, David? Well, uh, David and had been um, researching this church um, that's on the Mexico side, and uh, he had been talking about it for several months, and so we decided, um, since we were heading back to Colorado the following week, that we would go ahead and go spend the day out on Falcon Lake and go see the church. And once we got there, um, on the way we got pulled over and we stopped at Subway, which the Border Patrol had seen us. Uh, but once we got to the church, we took some pictures and we were heading back and that's when the three boats um, started chasing us and ultimately was shooting at us and then hit my husband. And I went back to him and uh, to check on him and see what where he had been shot and a boat came up to me and was, had a gun pointed at me uh, and then he would take it away and then he put it back on me and then they left and that's when I knew I had a period of time to try to get David up on my ski so we could get out of there and unfortunately as small as I am and as big as he is that just wasn't going to happen and I didn't have enough time because the boats were coming back to me and that's when I had to make that decision to leave him behind and head to the U.S. And I had to pass the three boats in order to get there. And do you have any recollections, Mrs. Hartley, having returned to your husband of what the events were after that? 
Uh, well, I was just saying um, that I had to go buy the three boats in order to get back back to the United States after leaving David. Um, and when I was going back towards, I was trying to find where we were, um, where we launched at. I couldn't find it, and that's when I found some houses. And by God's grace, a gentleman was out there. Uh, kind of looked like he was waiting, but he wasn't. I mean, he wasn't waiting for me, but that's what it kind of looks like. And he made the 911 call for me. Mrs. Hartley, thank you so very much for bravely recollecting the events of that awful day. Sheriff Gonzalez, uh, thank you uh, for joining us as well today. Having listened again to Mrs. Hartley and this dreadful set of events, what is your local law enforcement office actively uh, pursuing to assure that those responsible for this are brought to justice? Well, what we're trying to do is we're we're communicating on a daily basis or almost daily basis with the FBI and, and uh, some other officials in, in the area. We're also uh, trying to communicate with our Mexican uh, officials. Uh, one official, however, that we were communicating with, as, as we all know, was uh, was beheaded. His uh, head was delivered to the Mexican garrison in, in Mexico uh, last week, or, or I'm sorry, the 12th. So we're, we're, we're still trying to make some progress in the case. We're uh, realizing, of course, that this case happened in Mexico, and it's really Mexico's uh, obligation to get something done. That does not mean we're not doing anything. We are also doing and trying to assist everything we possibly can in trying to determine who, in fact, is the one that committed this, uh, this very heinous crime. Is this really beginning to cause severe issues now for the security of people living on the United States side of the border? Well... We've had a problem since, uh, not only in my area, but, uh, well, actually in my area I had very little problems. Uh, but since 2005, there's been problems along the southwestern border of our country. And, uh, you know, we have been telling Congress, we've, we've testified numerous times before the U.S. House, the U.S. Senate, uh, you know, in D.C., uh, uh, when they were in California, when they were in Texas. So we've testified many, many times. Just, just myself, I testified seven times in one year. Uh, yes, we, we, we have, ha- have had problems. Uh, we are having problems uh, as we as the time passes. Uh, we see more extortions, more kidnappings, carjackings, more murders, more shootings from across the river into U.S. against or on U.S. officers, local officers, state officers, so federal officers. Uh, the problems are intensifying. The, the, it's getting more and more and more violent. You know, we saw the two border patrol agents getting killed in uh, in California. You know, the ranchers in, in Arizona. So it, it continues, and, and it's not it doesn't seem to be getting any better. As a matter of fact, it's getting a little bit more uh, more dangerous. It's getting a little bit more violent as we go along. Sheriff Gonzalez, what in your mind, given that you are along with many in an area of increasing anxiety? And of course, I had also posed this question to Congressman King relative to the failings of the current and even perhaps past administrations should US guards have been brought in to complement local law enforcement agencies and border patrols some time ago to take care of this situation? Well unfortunately what we're seeing also is that a lot of the federal agencies or some of the federal agencies specifically Border Patrol in some areas of our country, some areas in Texas, are being scaled back away from the border. 
and some of the excuse that's being used is that the border is too dangerous for them to be working the actual border. Uh, we're also seeing a lot of times the more agents that are standing, we, we've seen that uh, border patrol personnel have increased uh, more than 100% since about four years ago. A lot of times agents are going to the border, but some agents are taken away from the border to do uh, other other types of operations, uh, you know, uh, in schools, for example, or in malls, or in recruiting and things like this. So what we need to have is, is more more local personnel, funding for more local law enforcement on the border. And specifically, I say local simply because of this. We live here. We have a vested interest in our communities. We 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 uh, plan to retire. We we live in our communities. We want the safest that we possibly can for our communities. We know the people in our area. We know the roads. You know, we know the, the, the terrain. So we are from here. Speci- I, I think we need more more funding for local agencies. Now, on the Guard issue, the National Guard, uh, we had Operation Jumpstart some years ago, and Guard members were sent to the border. Unfortunately, Guard members were not in a position to engage anyone approaching them in the sense, even if it's a violent confrontation, they had to, they had to move back. It happened in Arizona where our own Guard had to move back away from where they were at because they were being harassed or they were being intimidated by Mexican drug cartel members. Eight, uh, guard members in, in, in South Texas were shot at from Mexico. They couldn't shoot back. So when we were asked about the guard coming over this time, my recommendation was 1,200 troops is not going to do it, for one. Number two, if you're going to send troops to the border, make sure they're going to be armed. Otherwise, let them spend some time with their families. Let them spend some time with their kids. Let them spend some time with their wives. Don't send them to the border to do a, 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 a job it's going to require that they defend themselves and send them over here without any weapons. Would I be correct in assuming then that there is literally a no-man's land existing where any agency, whether it's yourselves, Border Patrol or even U.S. Guards, if they were sent to the area, can patrol or penetrate because of that danger you speak of? Well, there are some areas that, uh, that they're being told to stay away from. And we don't call them uh, no man's land. We call them almost. We call that land, or I don't sure West calls that land in Hudson County, Texas, as almost America, because it is in America. However, it cannot be accessed by anybody. You look at you look at some of your national parks, federal parks that cannot be visited by residents in this country because it's dangerous. Look at the signs that are being placed in Arizona, 60 miles, 80 miles away from the border, to not go near the border. What's happening here in our area? Same thing. So it's it's I don't call it no man's land. We call it an almost America. It's America, but it's really not America. And in your considered opinion, what now can we expect in terms of the escalation or even expansion of the drug trafficking? The uh, situation along the border will continue to to uh, it, it will continue. It will expand. I think on the more pressure that's being placed on Mexico by, you know, the U.S. government and by everybody else. Uh, and I gave the example when I testified before the House uh, last year. You take a balloon and cup it between your hands, and you keep blowing into that balloon. Eventually, that balloon's going to explode. And if you keep on giving more money to Mexico and more money to Mexico and more money, like in the Medida Initiative, then what you have is you're going to have that balloon exploding. Now, I want to make sure that, we, that the balloon explodes to the south of Mexico, not to the north. So my thing is, give money to Mexico, that's what you want to do, but the thing is also protect our south bo- southwest border so that when the balloon explodes, it, it doesn't explode this way. Incidentally, I understand, I have not verified this, that I, that I think Mexico is building a fence also, but building it on the southern uh, border of, of Mexico. And, and, and So again, I mean, criticism is there for the U.S. building a fence, but yet Mexico supposedly is building one on their southern border anyway.
And what are your hopes and expectations, Sheriff Gonzalez, for the outcome of the elections? Do you believe that they will result in a different paradigm in responding to the issues that you are currently facing on the border? Well, I understand that, uh, that the, the, uh, everybody's waiting for the elections in November. Uh, I'm also waiting for those elections to see what's going to happen. Now, uh, I, I have to realize that uh, when the Bush administration was there for Republican administration, not much was done. However, uh, a lot of our Republican congressmen were willing to help us, and they still are. There are several. Well, we had a congressman here just yesterday. Uh, the, now the, the Democratic administration, we're not, we're not seeing much progress either. The problem that we have between everybody is that uh, on the House side and the Senate side is that uh, whenever someone brings up the issue of border security, someone will automatically tack on something related to immigration. And you mix immigration and border security, it's like mixing water and oil. It's not going to mix. You need to do one or the other. You cannot do both at the same time. What assurances, Sheriff Gonzalez, are you providing to Mrs. Hartley at this point that all efforts will be made to ensure that these events don't occur any further. And do you believe that this latest death of a U.S. citizen on the border will create greater visibility in Washington, placing far more emphasis on lawmakers to find long-lasting solutions to ending this violence? Well, it's a, it's a very, very unfortunate incident, and, and we've had other incidents that have happened. Uh, this incident, uh, the, the young and, and, uh, and hardly families are wanting to make, want to make sure that America knows what's going on, knows what's happening, knows what has, knows what has happened. Uh, this incident, uh, again, has, incidents like this have happened before. Mr. Robert Krantz was, was murdered in, in, uh, in March of, uh, of this year in, in Cochise County, Arizona. You know, uh, there was an individual murdered in, in, uh, in Brownsville, same day David went uh, went missing, also murdered in Mexico. Uh, so we, all we all we can do is try to assure our residents on this side of the border that we are relatively safe. Now we must realize, however, that because of the violence in Mexico and there's an actual war going on in Mexico between the cartels, they shoot themselves with RPGs, 50 caliber machine guns, uh, and these bullets end up hitting the walls of colleges in El Paso, Texas, and Brownsville, Texas. College dorms are evacuated in the middle of the night because of shootings from Mexico in Brownsville, Texas. You know, there's homes in Star County, Texas that are being hit with bullets from Mexico uh, often. Uh, international bridges uh, in Laredo and everywhere, they, you, you have to call extra police, local police, to help guard the bridges because bullets are landing on the feet of the federal officers on the bridge. It's not getting any better. Uh, Washington needs to realize what's happening. Unfortunately, though, that I, I, I tend to say that maybe... Seventy-five percent of the 535 members of Congress do not know what's happening on the border. America does not know what's happening on the border. It's so very unfortunate that incidents like David Hardy's incident had to have to happen before some people will end up realizing what's really happening, and then unfortunately they forget about it too too soon. We need to make sure that Congress, we need to make sure the House side, the Senate side, they know what's going on. They know we, they, they know we have problems on the border and they need to be addressed as soon as possible. Before I return to Mrs. Hartley, Sheriff Gonzalez, and again, this question was directed towards Congressman King, in so much that there is hypocrisy in the way that U.S. employers traditionally 
are attracted to Mexican workers for their performance. And of course, in economical terms, um, it, it's uh, well stated, especially in agriculture and rural areas. Compromised further, I'm sure, by administrations focusing on election value in these people crossing into the U.S., uh, example, uh, voter potential voters. Are not all these factors raising numerous issues in areas of the country such as yourselves? Oh, most certainly. I mean, we have cases, and in, in, in it's not... Uh, let me address first an issue regarding safety and security before, before, before jobs. I mean, these people coming across the border, look what would happen just uh, you know, 60 miles away from where I'm at. You know, they have 72 people that have died trying to come into this country. Inside the United States, we have safe houses where people are actually kidnapped by one cartel from the other cartel because they need to use those people as pawns for, to be able to make some money. There's, in Hidalgo County, Texas, the worst rape in the history of this whole area was recorded there in Hidalgo County, Texas, two nights in a row for, from women 14 years of age up to 50 years of age being kidnapped. You know, we have the extortions here in the border. We have the kidnappings. It's, it's not just people don't realize that it's just not a matter of people from other countries wanting to, to do jobs U.S. citizens don't want to do. There are a lot of people out here in this country that are trying to hire cheap labor. That's what the problem is. Now, this is why I think, and it's just my personal opinion, a lot of U.S. citizens do not want to do the job that immigrants want to do because they don't get paid what they're supposed to get paid. Now, uh, once these people become citizens, though, if, they, if they're able to become citizens... Do you honestly think they're going to come back to work for the same wages they were earning when they were illegally in the country? I don't think so. I don't think so. So that's, that's an issue that needs to be looked at also. It's not that U.S. citizens do not want to do that, uh, you know, that those jobs that you have to get other people from other countries to do. It's just that they don't want to, get, they don't want to work for what salaries they're being paid. Sometimes minimum wage with the condition that you've got to live in the home they give you and the food they give you, and then they deduct four dollars from your seven dollar an hour job. That's that to me. To me, that's abuse. So there has to be, Sheriff Gonzalez. I'm sure you'll agree. A responsibility, not only taken by the government, but also the citizens of this country, the United States. Not to mention, of course, those traversing the border, looking for money to send back to their families. Purely, I'm sure, on a transitional basis. Through my understanding and conclusions, the movement of people always concludes by the need of people to return back to their native lands. Moving on to you, Mrs. Hartley, are your immediate plans going to include a return visit to the border where your husband was unfortunately murdered? Um, well, for now, I'm going to be heading back to Colorado and then... Um as soon as David's found, then, yeah, I will be going back down there. Um, and I probably will go back down there several times just because I know now I have a voice that needs to be heard about the border. And there's people on the border who have family on both sides. And things like this, their family members have been killed that they haven't been able to speak out because they fear for their family's lives. I don't have that. I don't have anybody on that side of the border on the Mexico side. So I don't have that worry, I guess, that fear. And I can be their voice that they're not being able to be. They're not being able to speak out, so I can do that. 
And I don't plan on just doing that on the border or in Colorado. I mean, this needs to be known across the United States and definitely where it matters the most in the Congress and um, at NDC. In light of Mrs. Hartley's expected return, Sheriff Gonzalez, are there any updates on the two suspects that you were aware of in this regard? Well, the, the thing with the suspects is somewhat complicated, and, and I'll try to make it as you know as simple as I can and as short as I can. Uh, on uh, I believe it was the ninth, the ninth of October, a news release or a news uh, yeah news release was, was put out by the Mexican media, indicating that uh, a, a Comandante in Mexico, by the name of Lassimo Ballesteros and myself, had identified two individuals as suspects in, in the disappearance of, of David Hartley. Uh, then uh, we, of course, when I found out about it, I said, of course, it's not true. I had no knowledge of this type of, uh, of suspects or their names or anything like that. Then, of course, further investigation revealed that uh, the uh, other Comandante, Mr. Villegas, had in fact given out some of this paperwork uh, for, to the media regarding the names of these two suspects that had been put out. Uh, as a show of, of Mr. Villegas not doing that, they beheaded him. Uh, and then on my side, uh, Mr. V- Mr. Ballesteros, they were also after him for having done that. Now, the ho- this whole news release that they put out, identifying Mr. Ballesteros, the commandant there and myself, as having investigated and identified those two suspects, we don't know if that information came from the one cartel trying to blame the other cartel for the disappearance of Mr. Hartley. Or, and, I, and I'll mention that uh, we don't know the Gulf cartel put that information out to blame the Zetas for what happened. Or we also do not know if the Zetas put out that information to inform everybody that they knew who had done it, actually being responsible for it, and they were taking care of the matters on their, by, by themselves, on their own. Uh, we don't know who, what cartel put that out. What we know almost for sure is that the actual media did not put out this information. They were forced to put this information out by the cartels, which is very typical of the way things are done in Mexico. So therefore, we have some confusion here. Uh, I'm trying to find out of these individuals that are that were known, uh, identified as uh, Zeta 27 and Zeta 31 are actually in charge. I understand they were in charge of that turf. The way it's done in Mexico, all, all the borders is assigned you know, the turf and who owns that. Uh, but I understand they were assigned to that turf, but they did not actually commit the offense, nor did they order the offense to be committed. However, somebody has to answer to it because the main Zeta boss for this area now has some problems because we have actually burned uh, and put a lot of heat on the area where he's storing his drugs at. Mrs. Hartley, in approaching the end of this program, what would you say to the people of this country, the United States, the people of Mexico and the current administration in urging for restraint and an end to this uh, dreadful set of events taking place on the border between the United States and Mexico? Well, I would say that America, for America, we need to stand up and open our eyes to what is going on in the border. Uh, When David and I moved down there three years ago, we didn't know what was going on down there. My family and David's family, when they came down and started learning how things work, their eyes got open. And I think that's, for Americans, we need to do that. We need to start looking to see what's going on in our backyard and not what's just going across the ocean, but what's going on at our border. And then for for the Mexican government, they just need to, you know, start taking control. And I know for sure that the president and the government 
governors, they don't have control of Mexico, and that's what needs to be done. They need to get, get, gain control of them, of their country, so the cartel aren't running their country. But, of course, they're a different country. They've got to do what they need to do for their, themselves and for their people. And there's so many people in that, in that country that are living in fear, and it shouldn't be like that. They shouldn't be in fear of their own lives, of walking outside their door and wondering if they're going to be in the crossfire of cartels fighting. Mrs. Hartley, if your husband David was present today, what do you believe he would have to contribute to the issues that we have discussed? Notwithstanding the extent of his knowledge of the severity of the ongoing deaths occurring, would he have offered real hope and solutions? Um, he was very aware. I mean, he had he worked down there. He was a manager, so he had to protect his guys uh, when they went out on the field. And I believe he would be standing, if he made it that day through all this gunfire, we would be standing here talking to you guys the same way, saying, you know, this isn't right we should be able to go on to a lake and enjoy it in sightseeing without being shot at. And he would be wanting to do whatever he can to make his voice heard and my voice heard to know that this, the issues on the border need to be fixed. With all that said, Mrs. Hartley, and given the situation that Sheriff Gonzalez and others find themselves in, are you hopeful that they will come up with answers, uh, not only to the uh, murder uh, of your husband, but also in the long term to creating real solutions to make sure that the border areas become a comfortable place to live again? I do. I do. I have um, a lot of respect for Sheriff Gonzalez and all of the uh, people along the border Everyone who's having to um, work, you know, work on that every single day, and having to face what is going on over there every day, I just have huge amount of respect for them, and I do think they're doing what they can. We are dealing with another country, so they're doing what they can on this side, and I, I support them and believe that they are doing that for us. In response to that, Sheriff Gonzalez. Would you like to describe the beauty of the area that you live in uh, near the border uh, between the United States and Mexico for people uh, who perhaps might be reluctant to visit, um, but on the other hand, uh, assure them that in the future that it will be made uh, safe once again uh, so that they can enjoy uh, the beautiful landscape and the place that you hold so dear. Well, what I can tell you, and I'll, and I'll take the Chamber of Commerce talk here, I guess. I normally am not used to doing but, uh, you know, we have one of the best, if not the best, largemouth bass fishing lakes in the nation. There's people from all over the, the, the nation that come over here, from even from other countries, come fish here. We, we tell people that the U.S. side of the border on, on, on our lake is safe. Now, we have so, so many things to support that people can see. We have some of the best bass fish, or correction, uh, uh, white-tailed deer hunting in the area. Uh, Zapata County is relatively safe, and I can say it's safe, really, uh, f uh, for, for almost everybody. 
Uh, we've had incidents here, yes, that uh, we've had kidnappings, and most of the thing, though, is like, and I'm not trying to take the, the cop out, uh, but the, the talk is, if you're not involved in drug trafficking, you should be okay. Uh, just don't go on the Mexican side of the lake, of course, and don't go to Mexico. And, we, and I tell people, don't go to Mexico, period. Uh, I, I sometimes people don't like me saying that, but it's that's how I feel, you know. And we have so many so many other things that can be done here. Uh, the lake side again, it's a very good very good fishing things. So we take credit for that. Uh, just don't go to Mexico. Pat O'Brien, as investigative reporter uh, for this program, and having listened to Congressman King, Sheriff Gonzalez, and Mrs. Hartley, uh, do you have any? Uh, final thoughts, um, having listened to them all today in regards to the way in which you have been investigating this over the recent weeks? I really believe we're in a situation where this particular issue of the mystery at Falcon Lake should be, if it's not already, the straw to break the camel's back to really increase the security of our borders. Sheriff Gonzalez, would you concur with that statement that indeed this may have raised enough visibility to where those lawmakers in Washington will take escalating events more seriously, resulting in positive action now to bring to an end this issue? Well, I, I'll reiterate again what, uh, what I said. I mean, we, we, uh, we've been telling our government that the problems are, are happening along the borders since 2005. And we formed the Texas Border Sheriff's Coalition because we were so, so frustrated that our government was letting things like this happen and we're not doing anything to try to, to try to stop it or try to prevent this from happening to anybody. You know, we've had federal agents killed on the border. We've had uh, ranchers killed on the border. Now, you know, uh, an oilfield worker historian trying to take those photographs been killed on the border, yes, on Mexico side, but still, to me, it's still over violence. Uh, we, it, I hope, I hope, and unfortunately, that, that this incident would be would be the one that will break the, the the camel's back because something needs to be done. Obviously, I mean, I looked at this thing here. These guys are at war in Mexico. We live we live on the border here, yards yards away from an actual war, and I cannot still understand why our country keeps sending military to, to all over the world. To protect borders for other countries, and our country here is not protected. Uh, you know, we've seen the incursion of Mexican helicopters, Russian-built helicopters coming into our country here on Falcon Lake, in and in, in, in southern Zapata County. And and yet, I just was watching television right now. Two billion dollars is being requested for the White House to assist Pakistan in, in trying to protect their borders. How about us? You know, I don't want to have people afraid that they're going to get kidnapped or in the wrong place at the wrong time on kidnapping, on an extortion, on a carjacking. You know, we had a local judge here that died as a result of her injuries when her car, when she was carjacked and thrown out of her vehicle headed towards Mexico. She died as a result of her injuries uh, six months after she was, she was thrown out of her. Their problems are here. You know, kidnappings in, the, in, in Hidalgo County, Texas, quadrupled from one year to the next. Uh, so we have our problems, and they need to be addressed by our government. Um, you know, I, I, I get so frustrated sometimes that uh, I even ask Congress if they even know where the border is at, because I don't think they know what's happening on the border. Mrs. Hartley, finally, how has this changed your life, and are you yourself urged uh, 
to return back to the borderlands in this journey in which you find yourself now to assist in effecting real change for those living in these areas and of course for the enjoyment of people in the United States and from around the world. This has affected my life in a thousand different ways. I mean, other than, um, number one, of course, losing my best friend, my soulmate. Um, but on top of that, you know, moving back to Colorado and trying to figure out what I'm going to do from here on out. But it's given me a passion, if that's the right word, to, you know, make sure that this doesn't happen to anybody else and make sure that our borders are secure. And if David's death is going to be the turning point for the U.S. government to start looking to see what is going on down there and start changing the things down there, then he's not going to die in vain. And if this is the turning point, and I believe it is, um, because I'm going to, you know, make sure my voice is heard, and I know there's a ton of people, not in just our family, but in friends and people I don't even know that are actually, I get emails all the time about them saying, I didn't even know this was going on down there, but now I do, and I'm keeping up with the story just so they can kind of keep their eyes open on what's going on. Um, so anything that I can do, of course, um, I'm willing to do and help them out down there. Mrs. Hartley, again, we send you condolences. We send you our very best wishes uh, also for the future. Sheriff Gonzalez, Congressman King, and Pat O'Brien, thank you so much for appearing on In Discussion today. Thank you. Thank you. My pleasure to be with you. And for our listeners today, you can gain information on this and any other program in the series at In Discussion at the official website, davidgibbons.org. Meanwhile, wherever you are in this world, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. David Gibbons in Discussion welcomes listeners' comments and viewpoints at its blog at davidgibbons.org. This programming is supported by organizations and firms in the private and public sectors. In Discussion with David Gibbons is sponsored in part by Bowman Global Change. Specializing in helping companies reduce their carbon emissions, Bowman Global Change applies real science to real business practices to produce results. From designing green programs to one-on-one training to helping set up green action teams in your business, Bowman Global Change translates complex science in practical ways that everyone can understand and use. For more information or to discover how Bowman Global Change can help your organization, visit bowmanglobalchange.com. Dot com.